Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. These people here, busy talking. We've got an audience of one watching right now. <laughs> but it's good to be here with you guys, and it's good to see you here. Hope you guys have had a, a good week, and hope we have a, a good time together here this morning. We're going to pause, we're going to pray, and we're going to get started. Randy's going to come up here. Uh, A couple of things just leading into this morning that we've been praying for. Uh, We want to continue praying for uh, Corrine's mom, Uh, just that they find out what's going on with her and she's able to resolve uh, some of the physical ailments that she's having. Also for my aunt's nephew, Tim, uh, they've had to take him to Colorado Hospital. I misspoke last week. I said he was hit by a car. Actually, an industrial refrigerator fell on him and crushed some of his internal organs. So he's going to have to have constant medical attention. There was damage done to his liver, spleen, both kidneys and stomach, but especially the kidneys. Um, and so want to keep praying for him and his recovery. And I'm sure there's a lot more needs out there that I'm unaware that you're aware of. Uh, and so we want to take time to at least be mindful of those who are in need, who we know who are hurting, to be able to lift them up in our thoughts and prayers. And so let's do that even as we get started. Father, thank you for being the God who sees, who hears, who cares, for revealing yourself in Christ as one that is concerned about the very hair on our head. And so we do lift up Rosemary, Tim, and my wife, Corrine, and others who are going through and having to go through difficult situations. May you watch over them. May you bring strength to them wisdom to those who are caring for them. And may they be not only in our our hearts and prayers, but may we involve our lives with them in ways that can be helpful in whatever ways we can. We are grateful again for your love and faithfulness in these circumstances as well as through them. And we are grateful for this time that we have together. Lord, may we lean into you and what you have for us. And we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, good morning. Uh, Before we start, I want another reminder. Next Tuesday, we are going to be having a little uh, get-together at Rescue Brewery on 2nd Avenue in Upland at 7 p.m., 
Uh, it's called Unfiltered. Brian and I have decided to put something on. Uh, I have a little video kind of to explain a little bit more about that. So guys, hit it. I know so many people who've either gone to church or grown up in church, but no longer do so. And the reasons vary. Some have been hurt by things done or said, and, and for others, the God they were taught to believe in is now too small and detached from the world that they live in. Some question if there is a God, and many still hold a mysterious faith, a faith in God, Jesus, or in something they're not really sure how to describe. Unfiltered is a space for us to freely express our thoughts, concerns, or opinions on these things. Each month, we will find a location to eat, drink, and talk about faith and life because what we think and feel still matters. I hope you'll join us. If you guys know me, you know that this has been a theme in my life for many years, the idea of exploring faith and not being bound by a tradition maybe that we've inherited. Uh, being open to hear and to learn has been something that is uh, crucial in, in my life and I think for so many of us. And so this is just a step for that to take place, uh, another place for that to happen. We want to make space for people who don't think like we do, but still have opinions that are strong to be able to express them and have a place where they're safe to express them and not be uh, just criticized. It's not that we can't disagree. It's not that we have to all think the same. It's that we have to be able to hear and understand so that we can speak more clearly into what is happening. So many times I find that we are living in a culture that wants to silence anything that doesn't line up with how we think or feel, and that makes it so that life is easier and we can just pass over it. But then you're left with wounded people who aren't heard, who are gaslighted, and feel that they can't express maybe the hurts that they've gone through, the things that they've had to deal with from church, from people who call themselves Christians, or things that have troubled them that they were taught and they don't agree with those things anymore, but can't say so, otherwise they're labeled heretic or whatever. Um, and so this is a, an opportunity for that to take place. And for those of you who might be interested in that kind of a conversation, again, it's going to happen at Rescue Brewery on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. It's there on 2nd Avenue in downtown Upland. I don't know the exact address off the top of my head, but it's not that big of an avenue. Just drive down it and you'll see. Okay. So that's taking place this Tuesday. Now we're going to conclude Psalm 23. This has been refreshing for me. I hope it has been for you as well. Let's read through the whole psalm at the beginning, and then we're going to take the last two verses to focus on. Again, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Psalm 23, starting at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Verse five starts off with, you prepare a table before me. The psalm shifts from a good shepherd to a good host, right? You, you don't prepare a table for sheep. That's what the green pastures are for. That's, that's what the other things are for. But there's a, a, a change here. And in the ancient culture, if a proof of prosperity wasn't the car you drive or the horse you drive or whatever it was back then. It, it wasn't the things that you possessed that showed how prosperous you were. It was what you shared. It was your generosity in giving to others. You would get a feast with all your friends and you would serve more food than they could eat. That was a, sh- a sign of affluence. That showed that you were fluent is because you shared in abundance. And people say, did you see how much food there was? Oh my gosh, I took so much home and there was so much, oh boy, they're doing really well. It was a sign that they were prosperous because they were also able to be generous. But something interesting happens because preparing the table wasn't a man's job. And even though the word you prepare is in the masculine, we are clearly seeing the person engaging in the activities of that culture would have been a woman. And we see that throughout the Proverbs when it talks about wisdom serving a table for us and things like that. It was a woman's work to do the preparation, even though it says you and the you is in the masculine. Now, Jesus said that God is spirit. And I don't think any of us believe that God is male or female, but God is not created in our image. We are created in his and male and female, he created them. I think there is something that we miss when we only look at God in a masculine form. Of course, there is our father and, and there are things that are presented in the masculine, but there are also things that are presented in the feminine that also are a clear representation of who God is. And there are gifts to understanding that. My wife can take our granddaughter and put her to sleep like nobody's business by just holding her. I can't do that. I I get her, I put the bottle and she squirms, but my wife holds her and boom, she's out, right? And now I know that's not always the case, but there are just certain things that some people can do. She has an empathy and an ability to help me where I am not able to understand or, or be as empathetic. And again, those aren't just male and female roles, but there are places where this picture 
of a maternal instinct helps balance the paternal instinct. And we need both to have a clearer understanding of who God is. And so I love that in this picture, the idea of preparing a table and God doing it is something that in their culture would have stood out as, well, isn't that her job? But God takes it as God's job. I don't want to say his job because that would be leading into that stereotype. Again, we're so quick to do those things. And it's important to understand that as this story is unfolding and we see this beautiful psalm that is bringing us to a place that this is something that we have been contrasting with Jesus himself and his role as a shepherd. And in Luke 15, there are two parables that Jesus gives, that one of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one and that of a woman who loses a coin and searches to find it. And at the beginning of that chapter in Luke 15, it starts with the religious leaders of the time, the scribes and the Pharisees, grumbling. And in verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We shouldn't overlook what's happening here. That word man does not appear in the actual text. It actually just says this welcomes sinners and eats with them. Bailey in his work, Good Shepherd, says the missing word is a connotation of contempt like saying this fool or this asshole. Now criticize me if you want, but I'm quoting someone else and I don't want to underestimate what is being said here and the hostility that they had towards Jesus. It's important to understand that environment and the emotion that was there. And it's important for us to understand then what Jesus does in turn. Because Jesus overhears their insults and he doesn't defend himself. And instead what he does is he redefines the center of their religious belief, which was repentance. Now, repentance for them at this time was really a doctrine of salvation. And what the Jews would repent from was anything that made them unclean. And so they wouldn't be associated with the Samaritans or with the Greeks or wouldn't go into places that they thought they would be unclean and they would walk around places as to maintain their ceremonial cleanliness. That was their idea of salvation. That's how they would repent from going those places and stay within these things. And while the rabbis of this day considered shepherding a, a despised trade, Jesus makes a shepherd the hero in the first parable. And while Jews and Romans alike viewed women as inferior to men, Jesus wittingly centers a woman as his example in the second parable. Don't miss this. God is preparing a table for you 
in places you might not expect by people who were formerly judged. Now, just as David was personally connected to Psalm 23, we are connected to the parables of Jesus. They're not just stories to, to make us feel something. They are mirrors where we are to find ourselves. And both these parables of the shepherd and the woman end with a celebration. But before there can be a celebration, there is something precious being sought and found. In verse 4 of Luke 15, the parable, the first one says, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the one he has he, until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, heaven was a common rabbinic way to talk about God without saying his name. Jesus is saying there is more joy in the heart of God over one sinner who repents than 99 people who don't think they need to be found. And it might not be so obvious to us, but Jesus is addressing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in these parables. Remember, they just ridiculed him. He overheard it. And instead of saying, well, I'm not doing that, he, he's ridiculing their actions. He is beginning his story by implicating the shepherd for losing his sheep. The shepherd's not supposed to lose a sheep, but this one did. And in doing this, he is gently and boldly kind of weaving the prophetic tradition that we see in Ezekiel and others of judgment against Israel's bad shepherds those who look out for themselves and not the sheep. And it's a rebuke and an invitation to the Pharisees. This precious sheep has been lost because the religious people have let it wander. And he goes on, he says, does, not, he, does he not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he rejoices, right? In the space of really four, sentence, four sentences, Jesus has informed the Pharisees that the sinners that they are scorning are not only part of their flock, they are of such significance that the loss of even one of them is worth leaving all the others to go rescue, but you won't even eat with them. Jesus then gives us another layer of the good shepherd story with the woman as the hero. And again, he chooses to redefine repentance, as we talked about last week, in front of the members who had little regard for women. In verse 8, he says, Or what woman has, who has silver coins, ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her women friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way, there will be is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. The woman like the shepherd is a metaphor for himself, 
the one who shepherds and the one who finds the coins or prepares the table, they're the same. Jesus is blasting the religious leaders for neglecting their purpose. They are the ones who are supposed to be caring for these people. You know, you can sit within a stone's throw of the temple studying Torah and miss the heart of God. And the same thing is true for us. We can sit in a church, read our Bibles, and miss the heart of God, which is always people. The psalm goes on, it says, in the presence of my enemies. Feasting in front of enemies is a sign that you are no longer living in fear. You are not worried about your enemies because they can do you no harm and you are able to relax and enjoy a meal even in their presence. You're safe where you are. Think of the Passover table where Jesus ate with Judas who would betray him and Peter who would deny him. They didn't detour him from what was before him. How many times have I let my enemies, and my enemies aren't nearly as serious as so many others, but how many times have I let them steal my peace, my purpose, or my time, and just thinking about them, worrying about those things? And the only antidote to enemy mode is really empathy, is being able to sit at a table to be able to put your guard down and have conversation. That's kind of what we want to do on Tuesday, right? It's been at the table of family and friends that I have found healing, that I have been able to have deeper discussion and dialogue. It's at the table that I found communion with others, with God. The table is the place where we make peace with God, with others, and with ourselves. So, Having a table set, being able to sit is is a symbol of that kind of calm, of that kind of interaction, of the ability to be present where you are with the people who are around you. And at this place, it says that he anoints his head with oil and that his cup overflows. David... When he was anointed, remember this story back in Samuel where Samuel the prophet is told by the Lord, you're gonna go find a king to replace Saul who's wigging out. And Jesse, one of Jesse's sons is gonna be the the person I choose. And so Samuel goes there and he meets all the sons and they're all tall and handsome. And yeah, it's gotta be this one, this one, this one. And God says, no, you're looking at the outward. I look at the heart. And then he finally says to Jesse, is this it? Because none of these are the ones who God has picked. And then Jesse goes, well, there's the kid. You know, he's out with the sheep. And he says, well, bring him in. And so he brings him in and God says, yeah, that's him. And it's there that Samuel anoints David with oil. Before he slung a stone and killed a giant, before he led armies into victory, before he did anything, he was anointed. Remember, we started the psalm with the understanding that we are beloved 
because that's who we are. Not because that's what we get if we behave a certain way. He was anointed before he deserved anything. Saying that we are sitting at the table with our enemies, trying to name us as unloved or unworthy or unwanted. We have to recognize that those are lies that we hear or maybe tell ourselves that saying we're too weak, too old, too wounded. The picture of anointing is one of lavish welcome from all that has tried to chase you away. You are anointed means you are blessed, that you are privileged in the eyes of God. And it's not just for kings. It's not just for Pharisees. It's for all those who will come and sit at the table. Your belovedness, anointing, and welcome to the table cannot be taken away by evil, others, or your weakness. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. This is still your father's world, beautiful and brutal. And and those things will happen to you and to those that you love. But don't be afraid. God never leaves us without a witness or a name. God does not abandon us even through the difficulties. And he says, my cup runs over. And it's such a beautiful picture for us who live in a culture of scarcity, right? (laughs) We live in a culture where we're so worried about what we don't have. Until you go to a culture that doesn't have anything and you realize, oh man, I really have more than I, I need. I was joking with Rick before I said, you know, you should have been born in a third world country. You wouldn't have any worries. <laughs> all the things that we press about, oh no, what about this? What about this? All these things, you wouldn't even think about them in another country. There's a beautiful picture that the Jews, when they celebrate Shabbat, they would fill a cup of wine to the brim so that when it's picked up, it would spill over intentionally. And the idea was to symbolize that the week ahead will be overflowing with abundance and blessing. That this cup represents what is going to happen. You are going to have more than you need, and so it's going to spill over. When David says, my cup overflows, he's describing the kind of abundance, this kind of abundance. He he is relishing being a guest at a table where the host is so determined to offer lavish, welcoming them and giving them more than they could possibly have. Every time the cup goes down, they fill it up. They fill it up so that it's going to flow over. It's full, it's rich. Think about when our lives are bumped by hardship or betrayal. What overflows from us? What comes out of us? And think of Jesus and what flowed from him when he was in those same circumstances. The cup that he drank from became the cup that now overflows with the love of God for us. What's in us is going to come out of us. What we fill ourselves with 
is going to be what pours out of us. And so we hold an abundance that announces itself like ripe fruit, like biting into an orange and it just squirts all over the place. And it's dripping on your hands and it's a mess. And it represents the blessings of God that can't be contained, that explode. When we hold that abundance, we are cups that can be continually filled with Christ's courage and so filled that we spill over. Even our sorrow will stream into compassion for others. It will not just go into a place of despair. Even though we do despair, we do not give in to it because it is useful in the life that God is able to use for us. K.J. Ramsey writes in her book, The Lord is My Courage. Christ's courage to drink his cup is what changes mine too. Christ takes our poison and turns it into possibility. He takes trauma and transforms it into tenderness. He takes all the harm meant to bend and break and shapes us into a new fate. His life is the pattern. His cup is the rhyme. We must swallow the cup of sorrow to overflow with the compassion of Christ's wine. See, even in our sadness, they can become a container from which others can then come and drink. That we care enough and welcome them to this table, even though we are in this place. When we are bumped, it will be love that flows down the edges of our cups. Kindness will drip from our fingers like the juice from that orange in your hand. Gentleness will leave a residue of resilience on everything that we touch. Empathy will be the water that turns to wine. Tears will tell the truth that is in us, that love resides. The psalm goes on, it says, only goodness and faithfulness, faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Now, in a lot of translation, it says, surely goodness or love or mercy will follow me. But that word surely is an exclamation. It's the word ak. And ak is like saying, ah, now I see it. It's an awakening. It's an exclaiming of a truth that's just been understood. Like only goodness and faithfulness will pursue me. Ah, why didn't I see that before? Because maybe I didn't. Maybe I was thinking, oh man, have you ever thought this? Man, why does everything bad happen to me? Right? I think everyone thinks that at some point. You know, man, it doesn't matter. Everything I do, it just, you know, it turns bad. This is, this is for you. Ah! Only goodness and faithful love will pursue you. And, and also the translation that says will follow you. It's not a good translation because... Goodness and faithful love don't follow you like a puppy. The idea is they will pursue you like a hound, which is a totally different picture, right? The following is the wrong picture. Ah, I'm going to be followed like a shadow. The right picture is God is going to pursue me The word means to pursue, chase, even persecute. 
God's goodness and love do not follow us. They hound us and track us down. Now, David almost exclusively uses this word in the context of hostility and harassment. Like when he was being pursued by King Saul to be killed by him. Of the 144 times the word, which is called radaf, is used in the Bible, only here in Psalm 23 are God's goodness and love the nouns carrying out the action of pursuit. The same one who was chased down and hunted by Saul is saying that God's goodness and love hunt him down even more than his enemies do. Do we believe that? Can we have an aha moment? An ach! God's goodness and his faithful love are going to find me wherever I'm at. And I hope this finds you wherever you're at. If you're struggling with work, if you're struggling with family situations, if you're struggling with health situations, might there be a ah moment that God is pursuing you, hunting you down with goodness and his faithful love. We're not merely followed by goodness and mercy. We are hunted by them. We are hunted by beauty. Every day of our lives, we are being chased down by grace. Your whole life is not about finding God. It is about being found. You know, I've shared the story before when I was fired from my job and was fretting, wondering what am I going to do? And I was driving with my wife up in Napa thinking about, well, maybe I'll come up here and work because there's a possibility. Just driving through the vineyards, And seeing the beauty that was there brought my soul to ease. It's like, you know what? It's going to be okay. My circumstances didn't change, but seeing things that were happening, it's like God was hunting me down through the drive on Silverado Trail. It's like he was pursuing me saying, do you see what I'm doing up here in Napa? See all these vineyards? Pretty cool, huh? And it was pursuing me to understand, to have an awakening that it's going to be okay. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hardship. But you're being pursued. When David wanted to build the temple of the Lord as he was going on and and his king's, you know, now being king, and and he's thinking, you know what? I've got a house, but I need to build God a house now. And and so he went to basically his priest, his pastor, Nathan, and said, hey, I want to do this temple thing. And Nathan says, well, that sounds like a good idea, but God speaks to Nathan. And in 2 Samuel Chapter 7, verse 5, God says to Nathan, Go to my servant David and say, This is what the Lord says. Are you to build a house for me to live in? From the time I brought the Israelites Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not lived in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever asked anyone among the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? And God says, 
tell him, I don't need a house. That, that's not what I want. God didn't want David to build him a house. He wanted to build a house out of David. We don't find God. We are found by God. We are pursued by God. We are always being pursued. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, if you are the one that leaves, you are being pursued. If you are the coin that falls and can't even cry out because it doesn't have a voice, you are being pursued. That is the picture. And this is even brought home in Paul's words that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can't get any closer than that. Now, maybe you've heard that passage as, you know, to blast you to not smoke or, you know, to live a certain way. But something powerful is being said there. We are invited not to just the house of the Lord, but to be the house of the Lord. And that's an incredible thought. What I wasn't taught is that Paul's designation of our bodies as temples was revolutionary. That the Greek word he used for temple is naos, and it's the word used to describe the place where God personally resides. Theirs translates it as the holies of holies. Don't you know that your body is the holiest of holies? See, God doesn't want you into his house. He wants to make you into that house. And he wants to do it as long as I live. We will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as we live because God is already alive and at home within us. The psalm ends where it began with no lack because of the Lord. In him, we live, move, breathe and have our being. We're invited to be one as he and the Father are one. We have the example of Psalm 23 in Jesus as he lived out and takes on that role. In Mark chapter six, John the Baptist is beheaded, Jesus's cousin. And after something like that, there would have been a watch to see how are John's followers going to react. Herod had a feast. Everyone was there eating in his palace. And the story, you know the story, well, they wanted John's head. And so he did that and everyone like, ha ha, this is what's happening. Jesus leaves and instead of enacting revenge or calling for an uprising, he gathers up with these sheep without a shepherd, the people who were wandering, and had them lie down on green pastures. And then he took small offering. The boy had a few fish and loaves. He blessed it and broke it and gave it and distributed it to the crowd so that everyone ate their fill and they had more coming back. A small offering, blessed, broken, and given from Christ's hands became more than enough for everyone that day. This is what the shepherd does. 
he lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is not just a story to read, but now a person that we follow. I want to end with K.J. Ramsey's words from her book when she says, in the presence of the living God, we can't help but give. Grief where there was greed, dignity where there was doubt, the small offering of empathy, time, resources, and kindness that we have. The kingdom of God is too present to keep self-protecting. The miracle too good to stay tight-fisted. The feast is too fantastic to withhold, including from yourself. May that be our experience with the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for, again, this psalm and how it has encouraged so many for so many years. May it find its way in our hearts and may we see how Jesus lived this out so well. And in that example, may we also do likewise. May we be a people known by our generosity not our greed. May we be a people known by our compassion. May we love and forgive as you love and forgive. And may we set a table for others as you have set a table for us where they too can find goodness and your faithful love all the days of their life. I do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder that next week is Mother's Day. Um, We are going to have a few gifts for moms that are here. But at the same time, um, we want to be aware that for some, Mother's Day is a difficult time. Uh, There are mothers who have lost their children. There are children who have lost their mothers. And so it comes with a lot of grief Um, But I do want to talk about women and celebrate them as I see found in Scripture. I think even through this psalm, we kind of saw places where that takes place, but I want to do it a little bit more so and maybe even confront some of the things that we have been uh, taught in the past, because why not? Um, But now... May you sit at the table prepared for you that is overflowing as you are pursued with goodness and faithful love. Recognize that your life is to be found in the hands of the good shepherd who gives his life for you. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Again, I look forward to a conversation here right now, but thank you guys for being here and watching online. Take care. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.